Welcome back, friends. This is the Blue Bottle Tree Podcast. I am your host, Zolani. And in this dimension, I am using they, them pronouns. I have a popular story that I'm sharing with you all today, and it's only right that I chose this issue story as this is episode three, and three is issue's number. Today, I am retelling the tale of issue and the two friends, sometimes called issue and the multicolored hat. Now, there are a lot of variations to this story. I am just sharing one. So if you know some other details, that's fine. That's cool. It's all applicable. It's all correct. Okay. Before we dive into it, I want to remind you all that I am not an authoritative figure in Ifa Orisha traditions, meaning I am not initiated to the level of Iya or Olorisha. Okay. Any and everything that I share about issue in this episode is either general knowledge or knowledge that's allowed to be shared publicly and not from behind the curtain. Please, please, please research on your own and seek out elders that can guide you if you are interested in Lukumi, Isheshe, Kendomble, or any of the other Orisha-based spiritual practices. Please enjoy this retelling, and I will see you on the other side. Everyone knows the story of the two friends who were tested in their friendship by Eshu. They took vows of eternal friendship to one another, promising friendship, companionship, care. But neither took Eshu into consideration. Now Eshu, he took note of their actions and decided to do something about them. When the timing was right, Eshu decided to put their friendship to his own little test. He made a hat. The right side was black and the left side was white. Now the two friends, they were out in the fields tilling their land. One was hoeing on the right side and the other was clearing the bushes to the left. Well, Eshu came by on a horse riding between the two men. The one on the right saw the black side of the hat and the friend on the left noticed the whiteness of Eshu's hat. The two friends took a break from their hard work in order to enjoy lunch under the cool shade of a tree. One friend said, did you see that man earlier in the white cap who greeted us when we were working? He was so nice, wasn't he? Yes, he he was charming, but it wasn't a man in white. He was wearing a black hat, if I recall correctly. No, it was a white cap. The man was riding a beautiful horse. Yeah, yeah, we must be talking about the same man, but I'm telling you, his hat was black. You, you must be fatigued, my friend, by the hot rays of the sun or something to think a white hat is a black one. Surely you are mistaken. I'm telling you, it was a black hat. I am not mistaken. I remember him distinctly. He was one of the only people that we saw today. The two friends got to a fighting. The neighbors came running, but the fight was so intense that the neighbors could not stop it. In the midst of this uproar, Eshu returned. He was looking very calm and pretended not to know what was going on. What's the cause of all this ruckus? He demanded sternly. Two friends are fighting. They're supposed to be really close, like brothers even, was the answer. 
They seem intent on killing each other, and neither would even stop or tell us or anybody what the reason is for their fight. Please do something before they destroy each other. Ishu promptly stopped the fight. Why do you two, lifelong friends, make a public spectacle of yourselves in this manner? A man rode through the farm earlier. He was greeting us as he went by, said the one friend. He was wearing a black cap, but my friend tells me that it was a white cap. He must have been tired. He must have. The second friend insisted that the man had been wearing a white hat. One of them was mistaken, surely, but it was not him. Both of you are right, said Eshu. How can that be, they pondered. Well, I'm the man who paid the visit that you're fighting about. I got proof I can show you. Eshu put his hand in his pocket and brought out the hat saying, as you can see, one side is white and the other side is black. You each saw one side and therefore you are right about what you saw. Are you not the two friends who made vows of friendship, of care, of consideration? When you vowed to be friends always, to be faithful and true to each other, did you reckon with Eshu? Do you know that he who does not put Eshu first in all his doings has himself to blame if things misfire? And so it is said, Eshu, do not undo me. Do not falsify the words of my mouth. Do not misguide the movements of my feet. You who translates yesterday's words into novel utterances, do not undo me. I bear you sacrifices. Let's first talk about who Eshu is. Eshu represents all possibility. Whether we would, in our human minds, judge something as good or bad, it does not matter. Eshu can unlock it and bring it into the world no matter what it is. They are the keeper of the roads of destiny, can grant access to other Orisha, and because of this, they're usually appeased first in Orisha-based ceremonies and rituals. Eshu is either or, and the transformation that gets you to both and. Meaning they have a lot to do with resolving opposition and lessening the friction between the two. And this typically happens through embracing the unknown or unfamiliar. We are coming off of the hills of episode two, where I spoke about othering. And I definitely recommend that you re-listen if you need a refresher. I thought this story was perfect to follow it because ultimately it's about relationship between two people who embody or have internalized that othering and haven't done any healing necessary to maintain the connection that they promised to each other. It's a story about how we enter into relationships with others and what's possible when we do. What we heard in the story happens internally and externally for all of us. Every person is juggling oppositions, such as poor, wealthy, masculine, feminine, conservative, liberal, black, white, young, old, gay, straight, and so on and so on and so forth. These measurements, oppositions, and how they impact us in real and imagined ways tend to weigh heavily on our nervous systems. Now let's pause there. Did you notice it's a hat that issue makes representing the head, 
the mind and consciousness. Come on, symbolism. Now, those designations that I mentioned earlier, they aren't inherently evil or bad. We use that information to help us navigate the world, to make sense of the world, to help us face our realities, determine who we can trust, ask for the help that we need, and give the help where we are able. Having that information can help us connect with others and set boundaries as well. As humans, we're juggling it all day because we're processing information all day. It's when we get fixed or stuck on that information or opposition that it begins to wreak havoc on our nervous systems. Just like the two friends stuck on, is it black or is it white, right? When that happens, simple conflict can easily turn into harm. What I offer here today is that reckoning with Eshu in a day-to-day setting is that process of making space, reducing harm, and settling our nervous systems. It's that question of, is there another perspective or way to look at, experience, or feel this that I am not seeing or that isn't readily available to me? That pause and questioning helps us embrace an otherwise way of being or knowing. It helps us reduce reactionary responses, especially when we meet others who are fixed or stuck in their nervous systems. It helps us show up authentically in our relationships, and it helps us to recognize when someone is doing that same work. It's like, yes, we're on the same wave. And I also want to be clear that supporting your nervous system is not exactly the same thing as healing, right? It means that you have capacity to reasonably handle your day-to-day life circumstances and fluctuations, even as we live through unreasonable times. And the same way that Eshu represents all possibility, having a settled nervous system means space to choose, right? How best to respond, what path you should take. I'd say that believing or making space for a different possibility is the prerequisite and entryway into healing, just like Eshu is honored first before other Orisha in ritual. It's that moment that you accept that you need a therapist or that you need medication or any type of help or change. And just like issue is either or and both and, this work with the nervous system happens alongside and simultaneously with healing. So it's different from it, but also healing in and of itself. If you can't already tell, this also makes space for nuance and complexity. It's like moving from femininity as opposed to masculinity to realizing that femme is full on its own and has a world and wealth of diversity and brilliance within itself, waiting to be expressed in a way that is unique to you. It starts to feel criminal to reduce ourselves and others through comparison. If you can hold and witness your own complexity, you're more equipped to handle someone else's. This is what happens when we make space. In the article, Eshu Elegba, they speak of Eshu's abilities and state. Trickery must not be seen simply as deceit. It is a power. Because the two friends didn't make space for possibility in their nervous systems and in their friendship, Eshu had power over them. What I mean by that is that conflict is always a possibility in our relationships, 
Oh, let me back up. For the sake of clarity, this episode is speaking about the relationships that we choose, including platonic, queer platonic, romantic, and queer familial relationships. All right. Don't trick yourself into thinking that all relationships are picture perfect. If you enter into relationship and never talk about how you handle conflict or what tools you have when it happens, you will feel ill-prepared when the conflict comes up. This impacts the already fragile nervous system and can cause you to go into fight, flight, or flee mode. Once you're there, there is little space available for what is possible. And if two or more parties all react or respond the same way, we're at a stalemate or worse, entering into violence. When I think of trickery and deceit as power, I imagine those Chinese finger trap devices. Do y'all remember what I'm talking about? I don't even know if that's the, the, <laughs> the right name for them. But it's like the more you argue, the more at odds you are, the more you operate in opposition to another human being, the tighter you're pulling and struggling to get out the more you're stuck. But the moment you relax and bring the fingers closer together, then you can get out of it. I am telling you that making space for perspective and possibility, knowing how to calm your nervous system, and having tools for conflict is like bringing your fingers together. And once you're free from the trap or the deceit, You can direct your efforts, attention, and yes, your anger in the direction that it actually needs to go. This is helpful internally, meaning within ourselves and externally with others. We know from the story that everything isn't always as it seems. So where do you direct your anger? Well, you have to ask, who does it serve for us to continue operating this way? Who does it serve for me to be in conflict with myself or this person? Who does it serve for me to not have the space or capacity to step back, to examine this, and to invite in possibility? You can re-listen to the first two episodes to help get you a starting point to begin to answer that in your own life. Now, I can already hear somebody saying, but Zolani, it's not that simple. They did da 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 They said da 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 I'm ready to throw hands. Okay, I agree. I hear you. <laughs> I understand. You don't need to tolerate disrespect and you damn sure don't need to accept dehumanizing attitudes or actions toward you. And if someone continuously disrupts your nervous system, you probably don't need to be in relationship with them. What I'm talking about is that if we are constantly bombarded and pitted against each other, if our nervous systems are continuously under attack, we don't know when conflict is truly worth it. Because yes, there are times when you're going to have to fight. Remember, conflict is a possibility. And you need the capacity and endurance to fight. You also need the nuance the understanding, and the spaciousness to navigate it so that it doesn't have power over you. During conflict, being right or wrong is not all there is. If you allow yourself to believe that, you will be at a stalemate in your psyche, in your body, and in your relationships. Y'all know the saying, comparison is a theft of joy. Well, I'm, I'm going to remix that just a little bit. And I'm saying that opposition is a theft of possibility. 
Now, don't take me out of context, y'all. Remember, I am talking about within our chosen relationships. If we reduce ourselves to being right or wrong, we miss out on opportune moments to problem solve, to build trust, to listen, to witness, to imagine differently. We miss out on everything that was possible and might lose relationships that we actually wanted to maintain. Just like the two friends missed out on the joy they experienced from a kind stranger that was passing by and they did unspeakable damage to each other. You might be saying, all right, that makes sense. That makes sense. But how do I do that? Historically, black folks have used prayer, song, dance, humming, and communal gathering to help support their nervous systems. All this is backed by science now, sure, but our ancestors already knew this. It was evident in their bodies. And you can use those same techniques and observe your body's response to see what actually works for you. I recommend starting with praying over your head. Remember, going back to the symbolism in the story that Eshu made that cap, right? So you want to pray for a calm, cool head, right? It doesn't mean that you won't experience anger. It means you'll know what to do with it. It means you'll be able to settle your nervous system. It means when there's conflict, you'll be able to step back and not let it overpower you. It means you won't be falling for the trickery and for the deceit. You'll be able to make more informed and aligned decisions. Having space in your nervous system also means that there is more probability that our impact matches our intentions. We'll have more space to determine what our capacities are, what we can and can't promise to another. Cool-headedness remembers that anger is not the only emotion and allows you to witness anger and touch it without burning yourself. Cool-headedness helps you remember that you don't have to operate in opposition to another human being, especially if it reduces you or them. This is the space where progress, healing, and opportunity exist where we lessen the friction that we experience. In that spaciousness, we can find and give grace to others and set the boundaries that we need for ourselves to have grace, for ourselves to thrive. This is the space that shapes how we enter relationships. This is the space where we reckon with issue. Now, I want you all to stay tuned for this episode's ritual that will further support your cool-headedness and help to settle your nervous systems. But first, here are a few resources for you all just to help you enter into relationships more full, more capable, more clear. There's three books that I want to recommend. All of them are by Black authors. The first book is Love and Rage by Lama Rod Owens. The second book is My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Manikin. And the third is All About Love by Ancestor Bell Hooks, Ibaye. All of these texts have accessible and grounded language and are a joy to read in community with others. I highly recommend the program Accountability Mapping, which offers tools for dealing with conflict and reducing harm, and it's based on techniques from transformative justice and generative somatics. 
And finally, I have to mention the NAP ministry, which advocates for the nervous system of all black bodied beings so that you are always connected to possibility. Hey, you made it to the ritual. First things first, yes, let's dive right into it. I am encouraging you to take that social media break, especially if you have been thinking about it or if you find yourself constantly doom scrolling. Those types of things can weigh heavily on your nervous system. As you take this social media break, you might just want to reevaluate your relationship with social media. See if there are new boundaries or new ways that you can use it, explore it, or have it in your life that feels more skillful or more aligned for you. Next, I wanted to offer something that would support your heads, your ori, your nervous system. And so I thought, I went into my little conjure doctor bag and I just realized that it's so simple. It's so effective. It's an age old ritual. It's oiling your scalp. Yes. Now, if you don't have an ancestral altar, it's okay. You can call your ancestors in, your benevolent ancestors in. But if you do, I encourage you to sit in front of the ancestral altar while you do this. You'll close your eyes. I promise you don't need a mirror. You're going to ask or pray that the grease or oil soothe and nourish your scalp and help you to have a cool, calm head. You will let your fingers lovingly explore your scalp as the butter or oil melts into the skin, the roots of your hair, and the strands. After you're done, take time to notice how awake, present, and calm your head might feel. Notice if you feel any other sensations or emotions. Witness those emotions without judging them, isolating them, or comparing them. And when your body feels ready, you'll cover your head with a white cloth, bandana, or do-rag, or any other covering that you have that's available to you. You'll give thanks, maybe drink a little bit of water, and rest. We talked about relationships in this episode. So if you're in a relationship with someone that you trust with your head, ask them to grease or oil your scalp for you. Or if you can grease or oil theirs. This doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. It can be any of the ones we talked about earlier. Take extra time to notice what comes up for you if you do this in partnership. This can be very intimate, pleasurable, and it can cause grief or sadness to come up or any mixture, combination, complexity of all of those emotions. Let the grease dissolve the barriers to communication and hold space for each other no matter what comes up. Maybe something new is possible as you do this activity together. Finally, if you want to kick it up a notch, you can make your own infused hair oil with cooling herbs such as peppermint, lavender, nettle, and hyssop. If you use these herbs, whether they are dried or fresh, in an oil base that your hair likes, make sure that the oil sits for a couple of weeks so that the herbs can truly infuse into the oil. All right, y'all, thank you so much for listening to the Blue Bottle Tree podcast. Please follow me on Instagram at Blue Bottle Tree, and I will see you all in the next episode.